Hello, and welcome to the Sound Up Seattle podcast. I'm your host, Tyler Cartwright, joined as always by my co-host, Sean Carey. And we are here today to talk about mainly the Seahawks' huge win over the Eagles, but we've decided to change up things a little bit and provide you with some general Seattle sports news. We're a Seattle-based podcast, and we want to bring you all of the Washington news that we can, and we have been slacking. We just It's so easy for us to get caught in the football, baseball you know, ruts, you know, there's so much to discuss, but we want to give everyone their love. Yeah. So with that, we've got some news stories that are coming out um, as we record this on Wednesday, the 20th of December, um, late at night after some big news from the Wazoo team. Um, and then we've got some cracking discussion and obviously NFL. So with all that out of the way, here's a little Coyote picnic for you. Right, John let's break it down we're gonna start off every podcast from now on hopefully we might forget in the future but <laughs> the plan is currently to uh, get a little Seattle based sports news out into the world and feeding the ears of the plenty so without further ado I do quickly want to talk about the sounders Seattle sounders pushing to buy the rain franchise um, the women's women's soccer franchise in Seattle Um don't have much to say about that. That's just they, they've kind of been backed by, I forget who it was. I can pull it up, but they've been backed by kind of a major, major group and have since, you know, pursued this option a little further. And I think it's some decent news worth discussing that the rain are not going to be a separate entity from the Sounders. Yeah, uh, that's not super uncommon in professional sports. Um, for example, I believe every single WNBA team is owned by an NBA affiliate. Um, at least they were at one time, um, which is why you see a ton of, you know, cooperation and advertising and branding between the NBA and the WNBA. I honestly thought that's how it was in Major League Soccer as well, that they, you know, they were tied, the men and women's teams. So I was surprised to hear they're not. Um, the fact that that is happening uh, is, you know, probably only a good thing for the women's team. You know, they'll be owned under the same parent corporation as the men's team. Uh, probably get a little more of that money coming their way, a little cross-advertising, a little cross-pollination is always good in professional sports. So, um, you know, nothing negative there. I feel like, you know, when you hear <laughs> the men's team is buying the women's team, there can be some uh, negative connotation. But I think it should be good for both franchises. Yeah, definitely sounds worse than I think it is. Um, the group that I was talking about is called the Carlisle Group. They're just kind of a private equity uh, firm that, is helping the Sounders with this with this uh, process. Um, some other Sounders news. I don't know how many of you have heard um, or the, how many of you have heard that are listening follow the Sounders much, but Nico Ladero has officially departed from the Seattle Sounders. He was a part of the last two MLS titles that the Sounders won in 2016 and 2019 and really was kind of a leader on this team for the greater part of eight years since 2016. Um, so sad to see him go, uh, but really looking for the best out of our, our, uh, our guy. Um, anything to say about him? Uh, no, no, I can't say, I <laughs> can't say you're a big soccer guy, <laughs> but I can be sad to see him go regardless. Obviously they've had a lot of, a lot of good run. Um, I wanted to touch on the women's college basketball arena a little bit. 
uh, nice to see both your and my dogs ranked in the top 25. The women's Zags coming in at number 20, and the UW Huskies at 23, uh, thanks to a nice win over number 9 Stanford. Both those teams looking good. Um, it's going to be really interesting. UW in about a month is going to play the second best team in the country, the UCLA Bruins. Mm. Um, so that's going to be a fun watch. But uh, shout out to our uh, our state college women's basketball teams representing, while well, only the Zags are carrying their weight in the men's <laughs> rankings. UW hasn't. Shut up, man. Ranked <laughs> in the top 25 yet. Uh, UW women's team did lose tonight to Louisville, who is ranked 19. They're, they're ranked ahead of them. Yes, but, that's a good uh, loss. First loss of the season coming in their 12th game. That's, good. that's a good point to take the first L. Um, definitely much better than either of our men's basketball teams. Correct. Um, and with the discussion of men's basketball, whew, look at that transition. Let's so talk sweet. the Wazoo basketball team, who when I last checked was 8-2, and two, and I haven't seen if they had a game since I last checked. But They've not. They've been on a, a big stretch. They haven't played in like seven days. Yeah. Um, so they'll be coming back around. Yeah. Um, they're basically, they profile kind of very similar as a team to UW. They just haven't been playing the type of opponents that we have. Uh, into scoring like 78 and a half points a game with very similar field goal percentages, three point percentage percentages. The one thing that they lack is getting, getting to the foul line. And so they just are scoring a little less, but rebounds, assists, all those kinds of statistics are very similar to UW. So I think when that game comes around, depending on, you know, the level of competition, if Wazoo can keep this up going into pac 12 play could be a very good game to watch coming or ahead in the season. Yeah, Pac-12 basketball is looking pretty good this year. Um, not necessarily as top-heavy as it has been in years past, but it looks pretty deep. UW is better than we thought they would be. Wazoo, I always think of them as being long and, and defensively stingy, um, so no surprise there. Um, Oregon State's looking solid, and obviously all those California teams. So, yeah, once league play starts, I think that's going to be a lot of fun to watch. Um, and enjoy while you can, folks, because if you hadn't heard... The Pac-12 is dissolving, like the Wicked Witch of the West when introduced to water. Um, and the big question for the last three, four months has been, what is going to happen to these last two pieces of driftwood <laughs> of the broken ship, uh, the Wazoo Cougars and the Oregon State Beavers? Uh, they've been homeless for a while now. Just finally got, you know, final verification of their basically ownership of the Pac-12 brand going forward. And no sooner does that news come through that we learn in some breaking news that I am super pumped about that Wazoo and OSU are going to join the WCC for the next two seasons in all sports except for baseball and football. Um, that is going to be a ton of fun. Zags, Cougars. That's going to be that's going to be the easiest road trip of all time. You can, you can throw a rock from one <laughs> that, stadium. That rivalry will be insane if they're if they continue to do it for the next you know ten fifteen years. Heck yeah, it's going to be great. That, yeah, that would be that would be amazing just because how close they are. Now, yeah, I love the idea of getting down to Corvallis. Um, obviously, my two alma maters are uh, Gonzaga and Oregon State, so to have them in the same conference will be a lot of fun. Um, now, obviously, not including baseball and football, those are Huge programs for Oregon State. Obviously, football is huge for Wazoo. So they'll be free agents, essentially, kind of like Notre Dame, just yeah. building out their schedules uh, without a conference. And I guess my question for you is, this is cool and it's going to be fun. We're going to get you know Gonzaga-Wazoo games. We're going to get Gonzaga-Oregon State games. But 
uh, this is a two-year deal, and it doesn't include some of the biggest sports these teams are a part of. Do you think that this is just a temporary holdover while they look for other suitors, or do you think they're actually trying to build a home? I think it's a temporary holdover in the fact that it's kind of like a one-year contract in baseball. It's kind of like a prove-it contract so that you yeah. can get a long-term extension somewhere else. Yeah. And two years for like a conference agreement is short. Yes. I'm surprised it wasn't like a five-year or ten-year deal. So that might point in your direction. Yeah. I think it'll bring some more name brand to the to the WCC in the sense of like BYU left. Huge. And yeah, to have Oregon State and Washington State come in and kind of replace BYU, that's that's huge for that conference. No kidding. And that's a great point. Losing BYU has hurt the conference. Um St. Mary's doesn't look as good this year, so that they, you know that's more of a natural decline. But suddenly, this three-headed monster of Gonzaga, BYU, St. Mary's is a single head that is kind of faltering in its own right. So yeah, huge infusion of blood for the WCC, um, and it's worth noting that in two years or so, we might be expecting to see the Zags go elsewhere as well. So this could be a very fun two years, followed by you know, a complete demolition of the top end of this conference. Yeah. Yeah. The WCC is in a very, very precarious spot, I would say with kind of this short term acquisition of these two, two, uh, two teams. And I think, especially with the fact that football is not going to be part of the WCC, you know, system, it really will limit how much the WCC gains. Like it, this is really just for Wazoo and Oregon state to be like, Hey, we're still around. We can play these these teams and just like get our get our guys the yeah, reps. Absolutely, and you know for them it's not you know not the end of the world by any means. St. Mary's is still a good program. Gonzaga is obviously a perennial you know top fifteen team that they'll get built into their schedule. So um, not a bad holdover for them. I'm sure, much like the Zags, they're going to get a nice chunk of that TV money. Um, kind of works for both conferences. Here's my big idea. This is my big idea. But I'm very excited about um, Okay, here's my big idea. <laughs> this time for real. Um, there's been talk about Gonzaga joining a couple different conferences. You know, it's almost written in stone that they're leaving the WCC. Um, there's been talk about the Mountain West or the Big East, which are both, you know, kind of fit their program's vibe more. The problem with going to, like, a Big Ten or a Big 12 would be that they don't have football. And they've got a good baseball team. Good soccer, they're good in sports, but they don't have football. And it's so hard to join one of the big boys if you don't have a football team. Now, Oregon State needs to leave the WCC. Their baseball program is too good. They're too well-rounded of a sports school. You know, they can't realistically have their two biggest teams every year. Their football program was top 15 this year. Correct. And they're perennially a top five baseball program. doesn't make sense for them to be in a conference without really high-end baseball or football at all. But Wazoo's really just, their baseball team's pretty meh. They're a football school and a basketball school. So here's my big idea. They sell the Washington Cougars football team to Gonzaga. <laughs> <laughs> they just they just take it. They take the program. They, they pick up the stadium like a bunch of Amish people and move it over to <laughs> Spokane. And they take it and join like the Big Ten and play with, you know, UW and all those guys. And then Wazoo becomes the new Gonzaga <laughs> and just whoops up on WCC basketball teams for the next 30 years. Who says no? <laughs> I, think, I think Wazoo would say no to their most highly uh, profitable sports group. Um, but you guys can run the WCC, get all that sweet, sweet WCC money. 
Do you want to be 10th in the Big Ten, or do you want to be number one in the WCC? Well, that's exactly the argument that Gonzaga is making right now. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, they would be, like, fourth in the Big Ten. Uh, Yeah, I just... I. You know, obviously, obviously the idea is faking around, <laughs> but I, I like the thought of, you know, the WCC will eventually kind of just like, these three are going to leave. In, in two years, it's not going to be the WCC anymore because Gonzaga, WSU, and Oregon State will be gone. Yeah, BYU is already gone. Um, if St. Mary's is the best team in your conference, you're starting to look like the American. You're starting to look like a little something smaller. Yeah, I think... I, I really think Wazoo and Oregon State were a little scared of joining the uh, Mountain West because their basketball teams are not perennially good. Yeah. And so if you have a basketball team that joins another conference that's supposedly worse than the Pac-12 and then proceeds to be, you know, 10th and 11th in that conference, it's just not going to look very good. Less people are going to be able to, or not be able to, but less people are going to want to come to your school and play these sports. Yeah. The thing is they couldn't use the Mountain West as a springboard the way they can the WCC because... As we noted, they'll clean up in the WCC yeah. and look pretty good. The Mountain West, they'll be, they'd be much more competitive, and that would make sense if they were trying to like put down roots in the Mountain West. Which they honestly, might. I I kind of supported that idea, um, but if it wasn't going to be their permanent home, it does make more sense to you know beat up on <laughs> the the single A school, <laughs> to, basically to try and become Gonzaga in, in a way. Like yes. that's what they're going to attempt to do, so that with a, when they leave, they have enough of a name recognition to to gain good recruits. Yeah, and also maybe even just see how these you know UW and USC how these acquisitions and you know assimilations go. That's uh, true. There is the potential that everything just goes horribly wrong, and in yeah. two years, everybody's like, hey. Take us back. Or that some things go horribly wrong and some things go great. And they're like, okay, we know which model to copy. You know, this is all new ground. So they almost have the advantage of waiting two years <laughs> and getting their book out and saying what works and what doesn't before moving on. Yeah. All that is to say, in two years, you'll have a podcast from us about what's going on with the Wazoo and Oregon State teams moving to some other conference. Correct. Um, but for now, looking forward to some pretty fun basketball games the next two years. Um, I do want to touch on one more thing related to college basketball, and it is a very, very specific rebuttal of what you said last week, and that was that Severe Wheeler is not a point guard or not a prototypical point guard. And I would just like to say that Severe Wheeler on the UW Huskies is averaging 7.3 assists a game. Ryan Nemhard, the prototypical point guard that you mentioned, is averaging 5.4 assists a game. Yeah, I I hear that. A 7.3 is an impressive number. Um, I didn't think they ran their offense like that, especially from what we saw in the Gonzaga-UW game. Um, there, that stuff can get a little inflated with stylization. Like, Nemhard averaging like 5.3, that's like what the great point guards average at Gonzaga because they're such like a ball movement heavy offense. Even with more of a prototypical ball in my hands point guard, there's still so much ball movement that it kind of gets their numbers down in that regard. And on the other side, that can get inflated if you're a really pick-and-roll heavy team. Um, but to your point, I did not think he was that guy. 7.3 assists per game is more than I was expecting. I'm curious how many of those come in more of a standard pick-and-roll, me-in-the-big sets um, versus something a little more dynamic. But I hear your point, and I apologize to Mr. Wheeler. Yeah, I think he gets like one or two 
you know, alley-oops to a big or like a guy on the baseline per game. Wow. And then the rest are great drives and kicks on like something where he's gone up, doesn't really have the opportunity to shoot and just like kicks it out to an open guy on the, on the wing. And even that's not necessarily super prototypical. Like yeah. that's how guys like in the league, like John Morant, that's how they get their assists a lot of the that's time. That's what I was going to say. He's more of a dynamic point guard that we yeah. see nowadays. Exactly. And there's nothing wrong with that. And that's once again, when we were talking about him, I think he's a great player. Um, just a different kind of player. Um, Chris Paul's never won an NBA championship, so. I just wanted to note that because I think Severe Wheeler deserves a lot more respect than you were giving him. That was all I wanted. Tired of the disrespect. Well, I guess if we're still talking college basketball, UW has had kind of an interesting stretch since beating Gonzaga. I saw they won in like double overtime or something. To, what was that? Seattle U. Oh, Seattle U. It's tough. Inner, inner, city, inner city rivalry there. Um, but they are now ranked in the top fifty in the country. So yeah, they're in their number. They're one of the eleven seeds in the tournament right now as so a bracketology. Somewhere around forty-four, obviously. Yeah, AP only does the top twenty-five, but you can project that out. Um, good for them. Also good for the Zags. That means their quad three loss just became a quad two loss, which I, <laughs> I love to see. Um, and Gonzaga, after losing the new AP poll, came out and they, uh, yeah, obviously lost to. UW. I guess we may not have mentioned that they played and lost to University of Connecticut. Um, uh, yeah, that was last Friday, so yeah, we yeah. wouldn't have talked about it. Number five team in the country, um, decent first half. UConn shot the stripes off the ball. Um, a discouraging loss. I, I was really hoping they'd pull it out just to kind of build their resume. They are now a team, Gonzaga, with three, well, sorry, two great losses to two top five teams, one okay loss to Washington. And no really good wins. <laughs> so their losses are great, but we need to work on those wins. Um, but they only dropped to 15 in the country. And part of the reason for that is, goodness gracious, college basketball has been... It's a shit show. It's a massacre. It's a war of attrition like <laughs> you've never seen. You would think all of college basketball was uh, uh, was the Pac-12, the way it's playing out right now. Yeah. Uh, yeah. UConn just lost tonight to Seton Hall, who was unranked, and they lost by 15 points. Oh, God. It's just, yeah. It's, it's, I feel like it's all matchup based. Like, I was looking at the, the lines for, I think, the Duke. Uh, oh, who did Duke play? I think it was, it was the number 10, right? It was Baylor. Duke played Baylor, and Duke was ranked 21st, and Baylor was 10th. And Duke was projected to win. Like, it's, it's fully matchup based right now in terms of how these games are going. And I think what we'll see is over time, things will kind of, be be that it's just going to be like hey which team is playing against who in march madness when it comes down to it and that's how you're going to have to make your picks when you when you do your you know selection brackets um so it'll be it'll be an interesting discussion when it comes time to to pick the top 68 teams that'll play yeah so just for the reference today there were six games involving ranked teams uh the higher ranked team won two of those games that being Undefeated, or not undefeated, but number four ranked Arizona and number 15 Gonzaga, those Ags. Um, and the other four games, we had two losses, Creighton and Connecticut, both lost to unranked teams. And Baylor and Oklahoma both lost to lower-seeded teams. So uh, two out of six today in terms of expected winning teams winning. And that has not been super unreasonable for the way the season has gone so far. Um, and it is the only reason a 9-3 and three Gonzaga Bulldogs team whose best win is USC or UCLA, um, is still ranked 15 in the country. So um, happy for the Zags, but 
that Kentucky game is looming large. Yeah. Their last real chance to prove themselves against a tournament-level team, especially the St. Mary's looking the way they are. So, interesting stuff going on in the sport of college basketball. Yeah, which I'm sure we'll get plenty more discussion on. It's going to be going on for another few months. But we are already 30 minutes into this podcast, and we really need to move faster than that. So Let's get out of here. We were going to talk a little bit about the Kraken, and I just want to say the Kraken beat the LA Kings today, which was amazing. They won 2-1. to one. Um, And the Kraken are fifth in the Pacific Division of the Western Conference of the NHL. And I was just... It's not great. It's not great. I was looking at kind of their stats, how things how things were shaping up just over the course of the season. We're, you know, um, over 30 games in now. And the main thing that stuck out to me, I was looking at actually penalty minutes and who was taking our penalty minutes. Um, our number one, uh, I guess, offensive threat, the guy with the combination of most goals and assists, I forget what that is called. Like goals and assists is a stat. I don't remember what it is off the top of my head, which makes us sound like a really bad hockey podcast. But it just points. I don't know. It might actually just be points. Um, but our number one player in that regard was Dunn, and he has also the most penalty minutes. And love that. It was like Dunn, Schwartz, and Cartier all have the three most penalty minutes on the Kraken, and they're three of our like really important players. And I think what that comes down to, I was looking at all the other teams that are ahead of us in specifically our division, and nobody, none of these teams have a top guy that is getting those kinds of penalty minutes. And I really think like the enforcer is something that the Kraken might need. Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I get what you're saying. We talked about this a little bit the other day, and they don't really have a guy that fills that role. Um, this is kind of the, the dark side of the team construction we saw succeed last year, where... One, we don't necessarily have a room for an enforcer on the ice because all of our guys are contributors on offense or on defense in a real way. Um, also, you know, kind of we're lacking that top end talent, so we need everyone out there to contribute. Um, so we don't necessarily have a room for an enforcer on the ice the way other teams do. Second thing is, as you're saying, some of our top guys are getting a lot of penalty minutes because. Everyone has to do everything. You know, everyone has to chip in in, in the same way. Um, when you look at, you know, like the Bedard kid for Chicago, um, he's allowed to just go out and just play wicked offense and just that is it. And not even like look or touch anybody. And if anybody looks at or touches him, they've got two guys coming over to cream that guy. And obviously Chicago's not amazing this year, but um, it's just the kind of player we don't have. Everyone who's out there, Needs to play physical. They need to play tough. They fill multiple roles. Correct. They're all wearing multiple hats because none of our guys are a number one scorer. We don't have any one guy that, you know, we find consistently on the offensive end. And I would say everybody as a unit is not playing as well as they did last year. And to your point, you know, there's a lot of sloppy play going on. They're getting in the box a lot, um, playing physical in the wrong ways, and... To your point, having a guy that's the go-to <laughs> to do something a little dirty when you need him to can be super valuable. I don't know where he plays on this team. Yeah, I think in general, hockey is just such an emotional sport in my mind. Like these emotional swings that get the fans involved are important, but you also need to have the right people on the ice when those swings happen. Correct. And when your best players are coming out, you know, at least once a game due to penalties. That just that those swings are not not great. We're allowing a very high percentage of power play goals as what like when we when we are 
when we yeah. have four, they have five. We're just our power play save percentage is just not very great. No, um, and we're not. Once again, we're not great on the power play, but we are not nearly the team five on five that we were last year. Yes. Um, so yeah, just just generally, I think the Kraken are worse at the things that they were good at, and have some spots where they could definitely use a different type of player. That's totally fair. It, hockey is so much like basketball in terms of flow. Um, obviously, there are a lot of similarities um, in terms of you know, up and down the ice. Um, but the you know kind of goon and forcer role is one you see in basketball all the time on some of the most successful teams. You know, you don't get the Bulls in the '90s or the Warriors in you know the 2010s without the, the Draymonds. Yeah, the Dennis Rodmans and the Draymond Greens. Like those guys are so important to be able to. Think of everything Draymond's done for a guy like Steph to be able to take all that off his plate and say, you just focus on what you do and let me handle the rest. And I think the double issue with the Kraken this year is not only do we not have a Draymond Green, but we don't have a Steph Curry either, you know? <laughs> because if you put Draymond Green out with a bunch of scrappy, you know, do-it-all players, that team probably wouldn't be super good. Yeah, yeah. So, I yeah, Kraken discussion, I think that's a, a nice light segue into yeah at some point we'll talk more about them i think i'm just kind of they're still they're 11 14 and 9 but that's still nine more losses they're 11 and 23 but just nine overtime losses yeah which i was telling telling john earlier they that gets them points it keeps them around it gets them in the the five slot correct that's Um, the only reason they're ranked five if you're wondering how they're ranked five at 11 and 23 that's how yeah um but it it doesn't you know, it's not going to bring them any closer to getting that two or two or one seed. Correct. So yeah, big win today. I would love to see them start start to just creep up towards five hundred, so we could get a little more into it. Um, but it has remained a tough start to the year. Yeah. Um, well, with that, it's time to talk about the the section of the pod that everybody who who listened is just came for. You know, the the huge, huge, huge. Monday night football win by the Seahawks against the Philadelphia Eagles. Goodness gracious. Initial thoughts, John? Um, Gino better packs bags now, man. <laughs> Drew Locke's here for his job. Just kidding. That's a joke, people. We've joked about that in the past. Um, this was not that. Um, great, great win with some huge implications for the team, as we will discuss later. Um, but in the immediate term, just a really nice win against a Philly team that struggled but is still – Really dangerous on both sides of the ball. Um, they were up seven going into the fourth quarter, and the Seahawks held them scoreless in the fourth and scored 10 to secure the 20-17 win on a walk-off Drew Locke touchdown to who else but our young stud, Jackson Smith and Jigba. Um, it was maybe the funnest, funnest Seahawks game of the year. The Cowboys game would have been the funnest if they would pulled it out at the end. I think this might be it. Yeah, I was talking to actually I was talking to the CEO of my company who was at this game and he was saying it was just electric. There was a lot of Philly fans there because Seahawks fans were selling their tickets because they were like, Oh, we're gonna I know a Philly fan who was at the game. Yeah. Um and so I think the Seahawks fans who were there had a little bit of an attitude about them who were like, Hey, this is our field, this is our our group of guys. We gotta hold hold them accountable. Classic Seahawks fans. Um and I, you know, sounds like it was it you know, the message was well sent to the players, obviously. Yeah, well received. Um, and I also want to talk about the Pete Carroll video of like right before the fourth quarter or right after the game. He was talking about like, when do you win a game? And it was like in the fourth quarter. And that's just like, that's Pete Carroll 101. That's like how the Seahawks are, are run for the last 
decade plus. Correct. Um, they, they set themselves up for the opportunity to get the last drive of the game with a tight ball game going on. And that's just exactly what the Seahawks did against the Eagles. Now, granted, against teams like the 49ers, that hasn't worked because their defense isn't good enough. But that's what the Seahawks have been doing. That's what keeps them at this, you know, 500 mark and able to be playing for the playoffs. Uh, this game individually, I really wanted to shout out uh, Leonard Williams, the guy we got from New York. Um, he was really big at just providing uh, influence at the line of scrimmage on the defensive side of the ball right and there. keeping Hertz moving out of the pocket. They really didn't have any big pass plays, it felt like. And I think that was just because our our line was our defensive line was providing enough pressure to keep him on the move and not make it not take any big shots. They certainly didn't have any big pass pass plays. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, goodness gracious. Their quarterback uh, had one of the worst games of the year for him. Jalen. Jalen Hurts. Um, yeah. Struggled there. 17 of 31, 143 yards in the air and two picks to zero touchdowns through the air. Now he was pretty dynamic on the ground. He racked up 82 yards and two touchdowns, but, uh, yeah, through the air, he struggled. A.J. Brown wasn't great. Devontae Smith wasn't great. They did a really good job holding down one of the best receiving cores in the NFL, pressuring the quarterback, keeping him out of the pocket, keeping him running, um, and it really paid off late in the game. Yeah, Hurts really struggled. Obviously, if we're shouting out players, how about both those picks going to our boy Julian Love? Yeah, both in the fourth, too. Huge picks. Correct. The first one bigger than the second. The second was more icing on the cake to, to really end the game. Yeah. But, uh, that first pick was a huge momentum swinger. Um, yeah, the whole defense, I thought, was pretty impressive. And then on the offensive side of the ball, <laughs> all jokes aside, Drew Locke was solid and obviously big throw at the end to find a jig bud in the end zone. But uh, much more of a game manager role for him. Yeah. 200 yards, one touchdown. Um, I was really impressed with Kenneth Walker, as I know you were as well. It's in my notes. <laughs> yeah. I was really thinking that Charbonnet was starting to pull away with the starting job of the way he's been playing. And in the last couple of weeks, Walker hasn't looked quite as sharp. Um, and to be fair to Charbonnet, he looked sharp today too. Four for 16, four yards of carry. That's that's good stuff. Yeah. But Kenneth Walker got the lion's share, 19 carries, 86 yards, big touchdown on a nice scamper. Um, our running game, I thought, really helped steady the offense with uh, Drew Locke standing back there. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And I think when looking at the the Drew Locke stats, you know, 208 yards, a touchdown on 22 or 33, that's like basically Geno Smith numbers, except <laughs> without an interception. Correct. You, you know, know? Pick, is the <laughs> And I think that's exactly... Credit to him for that. Yeah, that's exactly what the Seahawks want out of their quarterback right now. Like I was saying with the Pete Carroll kind of era, they want a quarterback who can get him a touchdown and be a game manager and just keep that defense or keep the other team's offense off the field. Yeah. Use up as much clock as possible. Work on that time of possession. Let your running backs carry it 23 times. Yeah. And just, just yeah, be. I think that consistency is what the Seahawks have been lacking from the quarterback spot specifically and maybe their line a little bit. Um, yeah. yeah. In terms of anything big, I think DK had a solid game, five receptions for 78 yards, and most of those came at the end on that last drive. He was awesome. He is so good. In credit to DK, one, we both love DK. We've talked a lot about where he ranks among the wide receivers in the league and obviously a bit of a notorious hothead. My goodness gracious, on these last big drives He's a great two-minute drill guy. It's unbelievable. Every single time that this team this year has needed a big two-minute drive, it is always DK. And it's not once. It's two or three times on the biggest drive of the game. 
um, happened obviously against the Eagles, happened against the Cowboys. Um, and I'm trying to remember what other game I remember him doing that in. Oh, I think Browns. Maybe it was against the Browns. Yeah. Um, but props to DK. Yeah. Um, he's making an argument for himself. Yeah, I think he's really he's kind of come into his own in that kind of role where it's like, hey, this is important, and we do have a guy who can go up and get this ball. You know, like like the good team or good receivers do. It's like, hey, our guy is better than your guy. Let's just throw it to him, and he can make those kinds of plays. Correct, and he comes up big in big moments. And then obviously Jackson Smith, um, big touchdown at the end. A good, you know, kind of a long game before that, but still second in receptions on the team, biggest touchdown of the game. Um, nice to see Locke looking his way. Yeah, yeah. Overall, yeah, we were really big fans of just how the Seahawks played this game. Yeah. And one more thing about Locke, 22 of 33, 67% completion percentage. That is just fine. Yeah. And that's, like I was saying, that's how we kind of want the Seahawks to be playing when they play against these good teams when it comes to playoff time. Um, let's kind of, you want to break down how, how the outlook of the playoffs look and who we could be playing? Yes. One last note on the defense. Thought the defense was sharp. Bobby Wagner leading the team in tackles. Unbelievable. As he does. <laughs> just Unbelievable. <laughs> Also, kind of a fun fact, zero sacks this game. Yeah. Jalen Hurts, two picks, was not sacked once. So, um, good work by the defense for finding other ways to get it done um, with some good protection up front. Yeah, I think that was, like I was saying, I think Williams had a big game and Mafe had a big game when it came to flushing him out. Obviously, they were never able to bring him down. Hurts is a really tough guy. If you're flushing him out of the pocket, you're not going to catch him. He's strong. So, that's going to be tough. But next three games, Seahawks have Titans this week. Steelers on New Year's Day, New Year's Eve, and then uh, the Cardinals to finish out the season. Yeah, I just I just want to say that run went about as bad as we were afraid it was going to. Starting with the Ravens game, the Seahawks went 2-5. and five. They lost one, lost, 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 lost one. <laughs> so it didn't go necessarily better than we thought, but they did come out of it with two wins to stay at 500. And I think part of my pessimism was just looking at the schedule every week and being like, oh my God, now it's this team. But here they sit at seven and seven. And it's like the clouds have opened. We're, <laughs> we're looking at like the fields of Elysium. <laughs> two two weeks ago, we were ready to dig a grave for this team. That's And they were one and one in those two weeks. They didn't even go great. But just, I, I somehow I never was able to see past the Eagles to the, the very ripe Titans, <laughs> Steelers, and Cardinals. Um, but this is a Seahawks team that is going to be favored in all three of those games. And if they play their cards right, are going to finish the season 10-7. and seven. Yeah, yeah. Uh, gosh. I remember at the start of the season, we were looking at the, the season in five-game chunks. And we looked at that five-game stretch that included the Ravens. Um, and we were like, okay, they need to go... They need to win their first two or whatever it was. They need to go three and two and then one and four in this stretch of like Rams, yeah. Niners twice, Cowboys and Eagles. And it wasn't what we expected to happen, but they did go one and four like we said. Like we, we wanted them to get that one Rams win and then we would have been okay. Yeah. And we wanted them to be 500 going into these last three games. They did exactly what we asked in the most Seahawks way possible. Yeah. Making and, us wait for it. Yeah. Their season is going to go just about as, just about equal to their every game for them, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but let's yeah, let's not get ahead of ourselves. Seven and seven now. Now to be fair, um, the Steelers are a total pumpkin. Um, I think they will be actively trying to lose in two weeks. 
So that is the game that scares me the least. This Cardinals team, their defense is, is one of the worst I've seen. Um, Kyler Murray doesn't seem to have much to lose out there, but come the last week of the season, they may be seriously looking at draft picks and making some business decisions, so that is nice. That really leaves this Titan game as the more interesting one. Now, they are a better team than this Titans team, but we've seen... The one thing I will say about this Titans team is they can and often do lose to anybody, but they can beat anybody. Yeah, they just beat the Dolphins last week. Correct, yeah. Um, Levis has a big arm. Hopkins still has those moments of brilliance, you know, grabbing the football out of the air. And, you know, Derrick Henry has had a really, really solid season. Can you believe that? Derrick Henry's still good? Who'd have thought? (laughs) Who'd have thought? Yeah. Not me. And Mike Rabel knows how to coach defense. Yeah, I think the Titans are kind of just a, a generally scary team. Yes. Because of because of that, they have the potential to win any game, and they aren't really playing for anything because they're five and nine. Like they're not playing for a draft pick. They're they'd be okay winning. They'd be okay losing. <laughs> it's like they're they're going to end up at ten or they're going to end up at eight. It's like what are they going to do? And so I think in that regard, it's a little scary to play a team that is that has nothing to play for but everything to play for as well. Yeah, I think what it is really is Levis. They're trying to build confidence for this young kid. Um, I got to be honest, I wasn't much of a believer in him coming out of the draft. He's really impressed me. He's got a big arm. He's got a lot of confidence. And he also seems like a pretty emotional quarterback. So I think they have every reason to try to build a good, positive momentum with him to end this season. So I think they're going to be playing hard. Um, And the Seahawks just have to come to play. Just come to play. You've got two absolute buddies. You've got proverbial fish in literal barrels sitting at the end of the season. Um, they just got to win this game, which they should win. Yeah, yeah. Levis scares me, and I think Derrick Henry is is good, but he's not the type of running back that's going to take over a game and rush for 150 yards. Like he's gonna he's gonna have maybe a hundred and maybe a touchdown. That's just kind of who Derrick Henry is at this point in his career, and. I, yeah, I just I see this game being like a twenty four to twenty one win by the Seahawks in kind of last second fashion as they have been doing. That's certainly possible. I, I hope it doesn't come down to that, but it's certainly possible. Um, let's talk playoffs in a more broad sense. So the NFC, the Seahawks are currently sitting at the eighth seed, which, if you don't know, is sitting just outside of the three wild card system. Um, but they are tied with the two wild cards at seven and seven. So we got. The Niners, Cowboys, Lions, and Eagles, who are all locked into playoff spots at 10-4 and four or better. Um, and those make up, you know, three division winners and the first wild card. Um, Buccaneers are sitting at four, last division. The NFC South is a mess. More than likely, one of those teams will get in, yeah. um, and the others will fall apart, which leaves the Vikings, the Rams, the Seahawks, and potentially another NFC South team vying for the last two wildcard spots. Um, now, the thing is, if the Seahawks win out, they're getting in. Um, a lot of these teams play each other. There's stuff going on. There aren't, you know, aren't going to be four, ten, and seven teams yeah. going after three spots. Um, but it might come down to winning out. Yeah. I mean, in terms of strength of schedule, I think the Rams probably have the easiest schedule remaining. The Vikings play the Lions this week. That's going to be a tough game. And like you're saying, if we if we are able to win out these ne- these next three games, we'll basically be assured. It might be three teams in the NFC West that make the playoffs, That'd just because it'd be you know Rams, Niners, Seahawks. 
Yeah, Rams have looked really sharp recently. Rams look really scary. Um, they looked so scary to start the year and then so bad for like four weeks. <laughs> now they're scary again. Very confusing team, the Rams. Uh, yeah, I think I, I'm not worried at all about any of the NFC South teams coming in. Yeah, Saints and Bucks will play each other at the end of the year, and that'll be a huge game for playoff implications between the two of them, but it also means that one will likely knock the other out of contention. Yeah, so really what it comes down to is us, the Rams, and... The Vikings, Vikings. because the Packers, they're six and eight. They're kind of fading. We thought they were coming in hot, and they faded very quickly since they beat the Chiefs. The the thing is, at this point in the season, it's reflected in the playoff percentage. Right now, as things stand, the Seahawks have a fifty one percent chance of making it. If they beat Tennessee, it jumps to sixty five. There's a reason for that, and you know it's well clear that this is their last big test before getting two teams that should, at the very least, be actively trying to lose those two games. Um, which means that if the Seahawks went out, they'll be ten and seven. If they lose to the Titans, they will very likely end the season nine and eight. Um, for the Packers to finish nine and eight, they would have to win out, and then they would also have to have the tiebreaker against the Seahawks, which they may or may not. But the odds are certainly not in their favor that that's accomplishable for a six and eight team. Um, so yeah, winning out would guarantee it. Nine and eight would be interesting. Nine and eight would be very tight. Yeah, I think the other thing we have to hope for is this Bengals-Steelers game needs to go the Bengals' way because if the Steelers win, they'll be tied with the Bengals 8-7 and seven and have a chance to, to kind of jump into that 7 seed. Isn't that crazy? They, can, they can still make the playoffs. They can still make the playoffs. The AFC yeah. is such a we, we need to be rooting for the Bengals. And hey, we're going to be rooting for Jake Browning anyways in that game. So Correct. that's going to be that's going to be big. Uh, also, I believe Pickett is out for this season, which means we get that much more Mitch Trubisky. We love it. That's, that's great for us. <laughs> great, great for Mitch. I love to see that guy getting a second chance. Um, but yeah, very good for the Seahawks. Um, I'm not, I'm not a Trubisky believer. But anyway, things are looking good, but really cannot overstate the importance of this Tennessee game. They are a good team. We are better. Just take care of business. Just take care of business. So we don't have to worry about it. Let's just go ten and seven and make the playoff. Yeah. Um, score prediction. Give me yours. I think Gino comes back, um, and I think I think they hit a couple big plays. I'm going Seattle 23, Tennessee 20. Interesting. I like that we both have like a three point margin of victory, just because that's how the Seahawks work. That's correct. They don't they don't win by more than three. <laughs> um, God, even Vegas knows because the spread's two and a half. <laughs> <laughs> that is trouble, man. That is real trouble. Um. Okay, I like that. Anything anything else before we move into some, some lovely value dog discussion? No, that's it. Uh, yeah, great win by the Hawks, and my pessimism has melted away. I think I think they're going to make the playoff. Wow. In your in your heart, what's the playoff percentage opportunity or chance? I think it's better than 51. I think even if they lose, there's a good chance they can make it at 9 and 8. Um, and with that built in, I think, there's a, I think right now there's like a 70% chance they make it. 70 is pretty high. I was going to say like 60, 58. Yeah. We'll see. All right. Are you ready for some sound up Seattle value dogs? Let's go, baby. Do uh, you... A lot of value on the table. Last week, oh my God, the cupboard was barren. <laughs> um, this week is looking nice. Uh, before we get into that, though, I do want to give you just some statistics on the season. Obviously, I've got our records on the season, but I want to give you the overall against the spread records for the underdogs because. That's the, whole point. that's the whole point of this. Yeah. 
Um, in the 2023 NFL season so far, underdogs have covered in a hundred, or they, they've covered a hundred games. Sorry, I'm saying this wrong. There are 100, 112, and 12 in terms of against the spread. So what that means is... Did you say they are 112? They are 100, 112, and 12. Oh, I see. Thank you, thank you. Yes, thank you. I've that was really tough to say for me. I probably confused everybody. So they're just under 500. They're just under 500. They are 47.2%. That is... God, Vegas is so good, man. Just... I know we hate them, but props to those guys in Vegas. They work really hard, and... <laughs> Uh, the proof is in the play. That or the NFL is rigged. <laughs> we don't have to think about that. Uh, I want to give you our statistics on the season and compare it to this number. Let's go. So 47.2 for the total season in the NFL. We are 32, 42, and 4. That is 43.2%. So sadly, John and I are not providing the that amazing, amazing good. content we that we promised you. We're doing a bad job at picking underdogs. Um Granted, not horrendous. We've missed, you know, we've got a much smaller sample size. But yeah, we're, we if we hit, you know, each of us hit two, two and one this week, we'll be back. We'll be back there. Let's just do that. Let's just do that. Yeah. How did I do last week? Um, you went one and two, just like I did. Ah. That's how. That's what we've been doing for the last four weeks. Honestly, it's a miracle. The last week values were a mess. I didn't want any of them. Yeah. Do you want to know the record against the spread? Yeah. It was four, eleven, and one. See, I knew that. We knew that looking at last week. We yeah, knew that it they was were awful. bad lines. And every single team that covered also won, like we've been saying all season. That's just how it goes. Yeah. But this week is different. This week, there's a lot of good value on the table. We're going we're gonna to capitalize. the time, guys. I swear, take that third mortgage. Don't tell your wife. Don't tell your wife. She'll be happy when you win. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, let's get this value. Do you want the first one or you want to give it to me? You seem so excited. I want you to have it. I am excited. I can't believe some of these lines. I'll, the guys in Vegas must, must have taken a nap this week or something. Um, with my first pick in the draft, I'm going to take the Dallas Cowboys. A point and a half underdogs against the Miami Dolphins. A Miami Dolphins team who, may I remind you, has beaten exactly zero good teams this year. A Miami Dolphins team that just allowed Will Levis, the banana peel-eating quarterback, to stage a comeback against them. And the Miami Dolphins, who may or may not have their best offensive weapon, who's the most important offensive weapon in the NFL. Um, This is also a Dallas Cowboys team that is currently holding on, thanks to the Seattle Seahawks, to the NFC East division lead. So this game is huge for them. Massive implications for them. They're going to be highly motivated. How are the underdogs in this game? I think you look at it, and Miami and Dallas are kind of the same team when it comes to Miami and Dallas don't beat good teams. Like, they they beat the teams they're supposed to beat, but they have yet to really prove themselves. I mean, Dallas beat the Eagles, but point taken. Yeah. Um, so I think in in general I would I would probably trust Dallas more, especially if Tyreek's out of the game. Um, Dallas has a much better defense. I was going to say they the ability for Parsons to be able to get to Tua is going to be huge in this game. Yes, especially if he doesn't have a safety valve. Yeah, so that's I really like the plus one and a half. I really thought about picking it, but I'm I'm excited for it. I'm a little nervous. Uh, luckily, we're not playing Ian in our fantasy football leagues. This week <laughs> I, I feel like it's just going to be Dak to CD all game long, but. That is possible. We'll see. Oh yeah. By the way, we're we're lucky they were recording this on Wednesday before John and I's playoff fantasy game has started because it's yeah. going to be there's going to be a lot of animosity in the house this upcoming. We weekend. might not record next week. We'll see. We'll see how it goes. 
Uh, with my first pick of the Sound Up Seattle Value Dogs for week 16, I'm going to go with the Jags plus one and a half against the Bucks. What the heck are you doing, Vegas? The Jags are good. I, I know they've lost the last couple weeks, but the Bucks are very, very mediocre. They're first in the NFC South, but that does not mean they deserve a point and a half over the Jags. That is a, a big fish in a small pond is what that is. Um, yeah, the Jaguars are better offensively, in my opinion, better defensively, in my opinion. Um, and I don't really get this line either. It's also a big, big game for the Jags, obviously big for the Buccaneers as well. And to be fair to the Bucs, they're coming with a lot of momentum. That offense has been clicking with Rashad White and Baker Mayfield playing yep. the way that they are. Mike Evans having another great year. But when I look at this Jacksonville team, I just see a more dynamic running back in ETN, a better all-around quarterback in Trevor Lawrence, um, and a significantly better defense. The Jaguars' pass rush, pass rush has been really solid. Um, I also wanted this one, and normally I would take it, but there are so much, so much. There are so many good value picks this week that we'll let you have it. Yeah, here's the other side of this story. Uh, I think the Jags need this game in the sense of they've got some some other teams creeping up on them just in the AFC South. Yes. And I think the NFC South is just destined to have its winner be 8-9. and nine. <laughs> <laughs> And so... so and somebody's going to be Bucks riding have to lose. The, the, playoff, the, yeah. the Saints play the Rams this week. They'll lose. I think the Falcons will win. And so each team is going to be 7-8 and eight going into Week 17. It's just going to be a mess. But... I think that's exactly what has to happen for this to play out the way that I think the story is going to play out. Well, I'm just going to go ahead and step all over that since you just slandered my next pick. Um, for my second pick in the Valley Dogs week, another great line if you ask me, though, I guess not if you ask Tyler. I'm taking my Indianapolis Colts plus a point and a half against the Atlanta Falcons, a floundering Atlanta Falcons team who cannot seem to get B. John Robinson to do anything. Arthur Smith refuses to give him the ball. And the one time he does, the kid fumbles. Um, that was played in like a monsoon. <laughs> guy's not built for monsoons, I guess. <laughs> I guess my boy Gardner is just built different. So I don't know what to tell you. Um, this Colts team is on a run. They are looking really sharp. They don't even have Jonathan Taylor back. It doesn't matter. Their defense is just really well-rounded. And Gardner Minshew is the second coming of Tom Brady with a better mustache. So um, I was surprised to see that they were underdogs against this Falcons team that has let the you know reins of the NFC South really slip out of their hands. They had it there for a second. Um, I think they're going to crumble. I think the Colts are going to step up. I think it's a classic team of two teams going in opposite directions. Um, I'm taking my Colts. Yeah, the only thing that concerns me about that is that the Colts don't really have a great run defense, and I feel like Bijan. This is I'm I'm hoping as Bijan's on my fantasy team. I think this is Bijan's breakout game. week. Yeah, you think it's going to come in like the second to last week <laughs> of the season? Maybe, buddy. Maybe. I don't know. The Falcons are playing for a lot right now. Arthur Smith's going to give the ball to Cordero Patterson like twenty times this game. <laughs> Let the old man cook. All right, with my. Second value dog of the week. I'm going to take the Ravens plus five and a half against the 49ers. Congrats. You're poaching my picks. Dude, it's a good week for value dogs. This is our time to shine. Yeah. Now, to be fair to Vegas, this is a line I understand. Yes. The Niners have been so dominant. But so have the Ravens. Five and a half points is a lot of points. Here's my thought is this is this is a 
Super Bowl preview. Mm. This is like the Niners are going to make it, and the Ravens are definitely the best team in the AFC. That could certainly be. This That's is, a really good call. And I think what it is, what it'll be, is when you think about how this, you know, the end of the season is going to play out. It's going to be a rematch of a very close game between these two teams. With the Ravens, you know, whatever happens, I think it's going to be close enough to where the Ravens, you know, get a little butt hurt and really play hard when they play each other in the Super Bowl. And I think that's just kind of how this game's going to go. Very close, very dynamic offenses, but in very different ways. The 49ers defense is obviously scary for Lamar, but I just, I think the five and a half points is a bit much to not pounce on here. That's totally fair. That's totally fair. I really wanted to take that one too. And this is a real effort of restraint to not jump (laughs) on it because I also really like that pick for all the reasons you stated, but I will not. I'm going to overcome uh, and pick another team for my third and final value dog of the week. And you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to support the Seahawks. Um, And because of that, I'm going to take the Vikings plus three (laughs) against the Detroit Lions. If I lose, the Seahawks win. Um, the Vikings play Detroit. They are plus three, and all indications are that Detroit is a far better team. Two big factors. One is Detroit is struggling right now. They are a team that is really falling apart. Lost two straight weeks in ugly fashion. Uh, Jared Goff has not looked the same recently. I don't know what's going on with him. Other than getting the ball to Laporta and Amon Ra, he doesn't seem to know what to do out there. Um, great for my fantasy receivers, but uh, bad for Detroit as a whole. Their defense has not looked nearly as good, so they are a team that has been going the wrong way as the playoff approach, as the playoffs approach. But uh, the Vikings, on the other hand, are a team that's definitely had its ups and downs this year, but they're getting Justin Jefferson back, and it's the second week of Nick Mullins. With this receiving core. Correct. They are on their third quarterback, which is not a good sign. But they still have a really talented receiving core. One of the best in football, if you ask me. Especially if if Justin's able to play and be be healthy the whole game. Um, And their defense is sneaky. Their secondary has got some nice players in it. So, uh, you know, this isn't my favorite pick of all time. But I like emotionally hedging with the Hawks. I like that. Um, And with my final pick of our Week 16 Value dogs. I'm going to go with the Cardinals plus four and a half against the Bears. I looked at that one as well. The Bears with little to nothing to play for at this point. They have the slightest, slightest chance that's like less than 1% to get in the playoffs. All they're trying to do is build confidence for Justin Fields. But at what point do you say we want a better pick? That's what I'm thinking is the Bears are like, the Bears are five and nine. And they could could lose. It's kind of like the opposite of the Titans where it's like they could get some real value out of getting being in that like eight to ten pick range because they have Carolina's pick as well. Like they could get two really good players. And I think the Cardinals don't know what they're doing at all. I think they're still locked in at the three, even if they win this game at the moment, um, which would be great for them because it gives Kyler Murray a chance to kind of show himself and give even more of a reason to get Harrison at the third or fourth pick. Correct. Um, I just, I just like the cards to be able to score 25 points against this bears team. And I just think the bears, you know, at the most, are going to score 28. Yeah, the Bears have been very nice recently. They have been. On paper, they are a better team than the Cardinals as of right now. Um, but, you know, Kyler leads a tight offense, and at what point does this Bears defense kind of come back to earth the way they didn't play it? So that'll be an interesting game. I was eyeing that pick as well. I think it's very reasonable. Yeah. Um, 
And those are value dog picks for the week. I wanted to know two things. One, you're probably wondering. Commanders are plus three this week. How do you not pick the Commanders? You always pick the Commanders. And they let me down a couple weeks in a row. They almost got you last week. That was that was insane. <laughs> they were down 20 to zero at halftime. Yeah. This is going to be the week that they, they actually cover for me, and I didn't pick them. So I'm just calling that out early. Um, and then the Ranted Dog of the Week has to be the Chargers against the Bills. They're plus 12 and a half. But, I mean, goodness gracious. This means everything to the Bills. And the Chargers are done. They're complete toast. They fired their head coach. Stay away from that line. Yeah. Stay away. Um, yeah, that's what we got. Man, what a pod. I feel like we did a lot this pod, but we've only been recording for an hour. It's because we've been talking at exactly 1,000 miles an hour. I know. There's a lot of information to go over. I hope you slow this down to whatever you need for your ears. Yeah. 0.5 speed. It'll be a two-hour pod. <laughs> Um, well, for John Carey, I'm Tyler Cartwright, and this has been the Sound Up Seattle podcast. If you enjoyed this episode of Sound Up Seattle, please feel free to give us a follow on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening to this. Um, you can find Sound Up Seattle on Twitter, TikTok, and Instagram, all at Sound Up Seattle, all lowercase, all one word. You can email us at soundupseattle at gmail.com, or you can find me, Tyler, at tycart 50 everywhere that's important. And John... Currently playing Mass Effect right now. He moved on. Let's go. An oldie but a goodie. <laughs> Recommended by his brother. We love to we love to see that combo. Um, we hope you have a great Christmas. Love, love football coming up on Christmas um, and over this Christmas weekend. And we hope you ring in the new year. We're excited to have you guys before the new year starts. But it's been a great year for us. It's been a fantastic year. Um, let's go. Let's go Claws, baby. Go Hawks. <laughs>